all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, assistant professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at UMMC. Sleep is one of the most important aspects of our health, and most of us don't get enough of it. And when your kids and teens are growing up, there are many different hurdles to getting a good night's sleep. And so today we're going to be discussing those. We're going to talk about safe sleep and some of the different problems we see with sleep that can interfere with getting a good night's sleep. You can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So sleep is a topic that I know a lot of us probably need to hear. Uh, It's things that we know we need to do. We all know we need a good night's sleep, uh, but it's kind of hard to come by, especially if you're in a stage of life where you have young children or maybe uh, maybe your kids are a little bit older and they're in high school and middle school and they have all the different activities that prevent you from getting home till later and that's interfering with your sleep. Or maybe you're just um, older in life, and sometimes we see that. As people get older, they have a hard time sleeping. So there's lots of different times during our lifespan where we're going to have trouble sleeping. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about those today. And what are some of the different things that you can do yourself and at home, both with your kids and yourself, to help you get a good night's sleep? Sleep and drinking water, I feel like, are two of the things that we don't really think about, but can make such an impact on your health. Um, Nobody likes to drink a lot of water, which is something that's necessary, and we just don't think we have time for sleep. Our lives are too go, 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 and we don't make sleep a priority. And both of those things can make a big difference when it comes to our health. Sleep, if you aren't getting enough sleep, It can actually have effects on your physical health. We know it has effects on our mental health. Um, Gosh, we've all been there before when you haven't gotten a good night's sleep and you're trying to think and you're trying to get things done the next day and your, your brain just doesn't work as good as it normally would if you don't have enough sleep. I mean, we've all been there. We've all seen that happen. Um, But it also has effect on our physical health as well. So, If you're not getting enough sleep, it can actually raise the levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, 
And you may notice that. I mean, I personally have noticed that. I don't know if you out there have noticed that. But if I don't get enough sleep, I'm starving the next day. Um, it really makes my appetite increase. Like I feel like I just I'm hungry and I need food to help me stay awake and to stay focused. Um, and part of that has to do with the fact that when you don't get enough sleep, it raises your levels of cortisol. So therefore, that can increase your risk for obesity over a longer period of time, not getting good enough sleep. Um, it can also increase your risk for diabetes because it can actually lead to the development of insulin resistance too. Um, it also can affect the production of interleukin. Interleukin is a hormone that is involved in your immune system. Um, so if you're not getting a good night's sleep, you're not having enough production of the interleukin-1, and it can actually interfere with your immune responses. So it's not just, oh, uh, we're just trying to tell you you need sleep. Like, you really need sleep <laughs> for your physical health. Uh, it can lead to a number of problems. And then that's just physical health. Well, I kind of mentioned just like your memory and things like that, but it's not just your memory. It's your emotions, too, and your mental health as well. Um, we know that lack of sleep can worsen anxiety and depression. Um, for our children, it can affect the way that they concentrate in school. Uh, I've had kids before that are diagnosed with sleep apnea who have had interruptions in their sleep, who have been misdiagnosed with ADHD. And we actually talk to the parents a little bit more, get a little bit better history about what's going on in their sleep patterns and their snores and they pause in their sleep. We get on a sleep study. They've got sleep apnea, get their tonsils out, and we can stop their ADHD medicines. And that's happened a handful of times a year we see that happen. Um, so we know that it can affect that. It can help, like I said, anxiety and depression. And it can, if your children do have problems with ADHD or behavioral issues, it can actually make that worse as well. So when we say you need sleep, we're not just saying it because we know <laughs> we're just trying to tell you you need sleep. You legitimately need sleep to help your body. Um, right. Now, Doc, the thing that I have a problem with is I want to not sleep so that I can see all the hours of the day. And then the next day when I get up, I am deathly tired. Mm -hmm. And then I'm a little loopy. So I, I can understand how sleep is important. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. And, you know, it's just in the different stages of life, sometimes it's just hard to come by, you know. Um, I had planned to do this show last week, but then when we had the press conference, I wasn't able to do it. And it's kind of ironic because... Last Thursday night, my child decided to quit sleeping. <laughs> oh, no. We ended up going out of town for the long weekend, and it just threw her off. So last night was the first night in a week that she's actually slept all night again. Um, you know, so there's times like now in my life where I have a little one who decides she doesn't want to sleep. But then you have other times, like uh, I was talking to my cousin the other night who has kids who are older and have a ton of activities with sports, and they didn't get home till 1045 the other night. Right. Like, how are you going to be able to get your kids to get a good night's sleep when you don't get home that late, you know? Um, but then you have people like my patients who are later in life in their 60s and 70s and 80s who don't sleep because they're not doing as much during the day. A lot of them aren't because they're retired. Um, and so when you're not physically as active as you once were or 
mentally, you know, mm-hmm. having to put pressure and stress on your brain to think as much throughout the day, you're just not as tired at night. Um, and so a lot of them have a little bit more trouble falling asleep than they normally would. And so it's just it's kind of funny to think about all the different stages you go through um, when you lose sleep. And it, there's always something that's going to be affecting your sleep. Right. Now, my mom is there where she's like three o'clock in the morning. But of course, she's retired. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and then it becomes a problem when you go and you take a nap during the day because you're tired from the night before. And then that just throws everything off. Too, right. So. So we'll talk a little bit about that, too, all the different reasons why people have trouble sleeping. But I just can't say enough just how important sleep is um, and how important it is for us to make sure where we prioritize our sleep, um, which is hard to do, depending on what stage of life you're at. Like we were just talking about, um, there's different things can, that can interfere with your sleep pattern and and why you're getting lack of like why you're having a lack of sleep, but it is important to make sure you're prioritizing your sleep. Um, it's funny because my parents, or particularly my my father, always harped on that as we were growing up how important we needed to, how important it was to get sleep, and we needed to make sure we we're getting a good night's sleep. And we would just roll our eyes, you know, we were teenagers. Um, but now I see all the different things that it can affect, and I know how important it is. Um, but I was there. I rolled my eyes, too. And so what we can do, well, we're going to talk about that, how how we can help our teenagers with that, too. So real quick before we take our first break is how much sleep should you get? I feel like that's always a question I get um, is how much sleep should they be getting? So our little bitty babies, you know, when they're first born, goodness, they sleep 22 hours a day, maybe, sometimes even more, but usually about 22, 23 hours a day. Um, For our infants, somewhere between 12 to 16 hours a day, and that includes naps. So they don't necessarily have to sleep all of that at night. This is going to be included their nighttime sleep plus their naps during the day. Toddlers, usually 11 to 14 hours a day. Again, that includes naps. Um, and our preschoolers, 10 to 13 hours a day. So uh, they, you know, you can see they need a pretty good bit of sleep. And part of that is because they're growing And their brains are developing so much at this age. You know, we talk all the time just about how little babies and uh, toddlers are just sponges. I mean, they're just constantly soaking up everything around them, listening, learning. Their brain's making all these new connections, making memories. And so they need a lot of sleep because their little brains are just firing nonstop all day and growing and developing. So they need the rest at night. As you get older, you don't need as much sleep. So like our grade school kids, so like kindergarten through elementary, about 9 to 12 hours a day. Now, they're not going to be sleeping during the day. Majority of these are not. Um, So this is all going to be at nighttime. So this is where you really have to start working to prioritize sleep and to set a good sleep pattern because they're not going to be able to catch up on their sleep during the day with naps. They have to get a good night's sleep. So they need 9 to 12 hours. And then when you get to, like, middle school teenagers and high schoolers, about 8 to 10 hours of sleep. And, again, this all is at nighttime, so you want to make sure that you're prioritizing their sleep, making sure they're getting in a good habit of going to bed at a decent time so that they can be awake and alert for their school day. And then as adults, really probably about seven to nine hours, you know, anything under seven could be a little less than what we need. Because a lot of people I will say, well, I got six hours of sleep. That's plenty. Well, you probably need a little bit more than that. But seven to nine hours is usually about 
what adults need to help to, uh, for their bodies to function properly. So we'll talk some next about what to do for your kids and how to get them in a good routine. And we're going to talk about some of the things that disrupt their sleep too, like nightmares and night terrors and what you can do for those. I talked about the importance of sleep and how it can truly affect your physical and your mental health. Um, it puts you at a higher risk of obesity, of diabetes. Um, it can affect your immune system if you're not getting enough sleep and make you more prone to illnesses. And then, most importantly, too, it can also affect your mental health. It can make anxiety worse, depression worse, and it can also have, make our children have problems with concentrating in school, too. Um, we have a caller on the line, and I think that's part of what he wanted to talk about. It's David in Horn Lake. Good morning, David. What's going on? Before I, my nephew I, uh, is um, uh, wound up super tight. Before I question somebody's parenting skills, I need to get some basic information. How much sugar and how much caffeine is is too much for a for a six seven year old child? I mean, I mean, I, without questioning anybody's parenting skills, I mean, look at the look at the breakfast uh, pop tarts with icing on it, sugar frosted flakes, uh, sugar smacks, uh, Captain Crunch. I mean, and then you know, if you let a kid uh, uh, drink a couple of soda pops with all the caffeine and sugar in it, wouldn't that be uh, wire them up? I mean, how much how much caffeine, how much sugar is too much for a child? And because I mean I don't want to question anybody's parenting skills and whatnot, but I think that I think that the, my my nephew is getting too much sugar, too much caffeine early in the mornings. That's part of his hop and then sleep, uh, not getting enough sleep. I think it's compounding his uh, hyperactivity situation. Yeah, well, so for a six and seven year old, honestly, probably doesn't need any caffeine in an ideal world. Um, I know that's probably a little bit hard to come by. But uh, in an ideal world, we would probably really not let that age have any caffeine. Um, from what I've read, about 12 years old is when it, they say that safely you can start giving your children caffeine. Now, part of that is because nobody wants to do studies on young kids when it, it could be potentially harmful for them. Uh, but so safely, they've done studies on 12 years and older, and they say around 100 milligrams per ca of caffeine per day for those that age children. So a six and seven year old, I mean, I would say probably doesn't need any caffeine ideally um, if what, you could cut that out. What about these fruit juice pouches things? Are they, they have a lot of sugar in them too? Um, it depends on which ones, but yeah, majority of them are going to have a decent amount of sugar in them. Um, but it all depends on which kind you're looking at. Some of them have a little bit lower sugar than others, but most of those like Capri Suns and Kool-Aid packs and things like that, they're going to have a decent amount of sugar in them. But uh, that, but there's not a like a recommended dose that you can look and say, "Oop, that's uh, too many serving size," and uh, and and you know the little FDA little what you call the nutritional guide breakdown thing. You know they you know you got to look at nutrition. I mean the the portion size and um, uh, and uh, give me they don't have any guidelines for that. Like too much sugar. Like if you they you do. Like, they do, but honestly, David, I don't know them off the top of my head because it's going to be different for each age range. But at, during the break, I'll take a look and see if I can find something for you. Probably The American Heart Association is probably going to have the best resources for that. 
Um, so I'll work on that during the break, and I'll when we come back, I'll make sure to find it for you and see. But it usually those kind of things are going to vary based off of the age, and so it's kind of hard to know that one off the top of my head. But I'll look and I'll see if I can find it for you. All right, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. And we have another caller, Dennis, who is in Tupelo. Good morning, Dennis. What's going on? I have problems sleeping, and I just wanted to ask a general question. One of my solutions to the problem was uh, NyQuil or some uh, sleep additive. And to my surprise, I normally go to sleep listening to the radio. I wake up, the radio isn't where it's supposed to be. And apparently I'm picking the things up and throwing them around the room. Mm-hmm. That was my suspicion. I stopped using the sleep aid, sleep additives, and the problem the problem went away. Yeah, if you don't mind me, Dennis, asking how old you are. 71. Yeah. So majority of those over-the-counter sleep medicines like NyQuil, Tylenol PM, Advil PM, all of those medications have Benadryl as the medication in there to help you sleep. Um, Some of the other ones, like Unisom, have doxylamine, which is another variation of an antihistamine, similar to Benadryl. The older you get, and especially the more frequent you use them, you become more sensitive to some of the side effects. Um, So anybody probably 60, 65 and older really needs to be careful with those medications uh, because that antihistamine class of medicine has some pretty nasty side effects the older you get. Um, It can really affect a a lot of the stuff that you're saying doesn't surprise me at all because we see that all the time um, in our patients as they get older and they take those sleep medicines. Well, I stopped using because I was horrified with the thoughts that I can be asleep and actually doing something and not be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Frightening. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably having to do with those potential, those side effects from those medicines, like the, like the antihistamine that's in there. Um, honestly, okay. the, our older patients, some of our prescription medications to help you sleep, if that's a problem for you, are probably going to be safer for you than a lot of the over the counter stuff that you can get just because of the side effect profiles of them. Okay. Uh, you said stuff that's meant for me to have. Um, sleep additives? Yeah, like all the -the over-the-counter, a lot of the -the over-the-counter sleep aids are going to be based off those antihistamines. And so some of the prescription medicines we have are actually probably safer for you because of the side effects. Mm -hmm. The side effects of the antihistamines are worse than the prescription medicines. So I can ask my doctor to prescribe it. Yes, sir. Yeah, you can ask your doctor, um, and they can talk to you about some of the different options that we have to help you sleep. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yeah, for the sleep aids now, we have a lot of medications that are honestly pretty safe. Now, in a 70-year-old, I would probably avoid some of the certain ones like Ambien or Lunesta um, because those can have a lot of side effects as well, just like the antihistamines can. Um, but we have some other options that can be helpful for you to sleep um, that can be very safe for you to take, uh, particularly some of the ones that we use are some older antidepressant medications that we don't really use as much for antidepression or for depression anymore, but they can be pretty safe medications that we can give people as they get older to help them with their sleep habits. So 
Hopefully that was helpful, and we appreciate your call, Dennis. Um, We're talking today about sleep. Uh, So I wanted to start by talking about infant sleep because I feel like this is one uh, that we get a lot of questions on, and a lot of people have different input on what you should do. Grandparents try to tell you one thing. You've read this on the Internet, what you should do for your baby. And so kind of like just what what is okay for you to do with your child, and uh, when should they be sleeping through the night? Um, Because I feel like this is another thing that – parents compare because they'll see pictures um, post on you know Instagram or Facebook with oh my child slept through the night last night and they're only six weeks old and there you sit with your nine-month-old who's still not sleeping through the night and how frustrating that can be as a parent Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that when should your baby be sleeping through the night we say majority of the babies will be often sleeping through the night by six months of age but that's not everybody I mean, there are some reports that up to 50% of the babies are still waking up at six months of age. Really, what we're saying is at six months, the baby can easily sleep through the night based off of what nutrition they're getting during the day. Uh, Because a lot of times people will say, you know, that they're, when they wake up, they give them a bottle or they breastfeed. Um, But what we're saying is by six months, majority of babies don't need those extra feedings at night. That being said, there's always going to be certain situations where some are going to need to have those extra feedings at night. But for majority of our patients, um, they're going to be able to sleep through the night by six months of age without needing an extra feeding. And that's just because their circadian rhythm is starting to get a little more um, in sync. It's not perfect, but it's getting a little bit more mature and it's getting a little more in sync. By six months, they're starting to do a little more baby foods throughout the day. And so they're getting a little bit fuller and getting more nutrition. And so they should be able to start sleeping through the night a little bit better by the time they get to be six months of age. That being said, you want to make sure that your baby is growing appropriately, developing appropriately, talking to your pediatrician before you make sure that they can go without having a feeding during the night. So we're going to talk a little bit more about getting your baby to sleep through the night and is it okay to let them cry it out? feel like that's a big question. We have been talking today about sleep and the importance of sleep and the effects it has on your health. And we're going to talk about some interruptions in our sleep, about what makes us not be able to sleep. And we're going to, how we can help and treat those that we're, when we're having trouble sleeping. You can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Uh, So during the break, Jermaine and I were doing some research through the American Heart Association, and I think she found, because one of our callers had asked earlier exactly how much sugar should children be able to get, so... Uh-huh. Right. I found it. So <laughs> who knew that there was an actual real amount? But the um, American Heart Association recommends that children ages 2 to 18 should limit their added sugar consumption to less than 6 teaspoons. That's 25 grams per day. And sugary beverages should be limited to no more than 8 ounces per week. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's a good rule of thumb. Just... <laughs> Count the teaspoons. And honestly, that's not much. (laughs) Right. I know it. And this is, is let me say, that is added sugar. So that's not the stuff that's in like natural, uh, like fruits and things like that that have natural sugars in them. This is like added, like the sugary, like our caller was mentioning, the sugary cereals and the sugary drinks and the sugary snacks. That is that type of sugar. That does not necessarily include what you get in like fruits and vegetables and that type of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make sure just give them water before bed. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yes. And that, I mean, that can make a big difference. It really can. Honestly, and our kids, um, I have a lot of parents come in and ask, well, when should we start giving them juice? And I'm like, honestly, you never have to give them juice if you don't want to. <clears throat> we don't recommend any juice under age one at all. Uh, but after age one, if you wanted to limit it to about one cup a day, uh, that when about four to six ounces a day should be fine. Um, but we really don't recommend any juice. If you don't have to ever introduce your children to juice, that's okay. I think juice is so good for us mm-hmm. or good to us that we're like, when can Nate experience <laughs> yeah. the taste of juice? <laughs> yeah, but juice has so much sugar in it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it really does. Majority of those, even if they're all natural, they still have some added sugar in there. So you have to be careful with that. But yeah, um, the American Heart Association actually has a lot of good information on there. Um, <clears throat> they have a lot of information, too, about they even have rec- um, excuse me, recipes on there. Um, they help break down all the different things with sugars and fats and what are the good fats, and <clears throat> that's all on that website. And then the, if you Google the American Diabetes Association, too, they also have a lot of information, too, on there when it comes to recipes and counting carbs and that type of thing. So... If this is something you're ever interested in, um, the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, just Google their websites and play on their websites. These two uh, foundations have a ton of information on there. I mean, it's also very user-friendly. I don't know if you thought the same thing, Jermaine, when you were Googling, Um, but they really do, honestly. It's a very user-friendly website. It's some great pictures. If you don't like to read a lot, they got some good photos up (laughs) there. (laughs) They do. They do. Um, But they all have, like, um, it's real, it's very real-life practical stuff, too. With They'll tell you um, certain foods that have, like, how many grams of sugar are in such and such amount of food. So it just makes sense to you when you're looking at it for you to think through it. Um, So I was talking about our babies and sleeping through the night. And when should you, um, when should they be sleeping through the night? And like I said, most of them can sleep through the night by six months. And a lot of them are. But up to 50% of babies are still waking up through the night after six months. What we're saying, again, is that they necessarily, they don't necessarily need to have, be woken through the night to have feedings majority of our babies by six months of course there's always some circumstances where they are going to need that Um, but majority of our healthy children by six months shouldn't have to have that that being said you want to make sure that they're growing that they're gaining weight appropriately that they're developing appropriately and they're getting adequate nutrition during the day and this is why it's so important to make sure you're going to your checkups because this is what we do at our checkups is we check in on this we're watching their growth we're watching their development We're talking to you about what your baby is getting during the day so that that way we know that it is okay for them. And so the next thing that comes up is sleep training. And is it okay to sleep train your baby? Is it okay to let them cry it out? Because I know that is a big thing. Um, Back when I was growing up, yeah, you let every baby cry it out. It was fine. But now there's been lots of different things that have come out and people are concerned that could it affect their mental health on down the road and Does it have any changes on their body when you let them cry out because of the stress? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we've got a caller, Wyatt, who's on the phone. Good morning, Wyatt. What's going on? Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, I just uh, had a follow-up question to the discussion about um, added sugar. Mm Mm-hmm. So 
uh, I remember from college, and I can't remember, but there was some uh, experiment that was done where they took, like, you know, uh, beverages with different concentrations of sugar and with, you know, like the younger kids, um, you know, they would choose um, a concentration of sugar that when paired to an adult sample would almost cause vomiting because it was so sweet and, you know, talk about the evolutionary point of view, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, you know, basically the take home was, you know, if they, if you early trend them towards sweet, it gets really hard to um, them offer them a cauliflower and then get excited about it. Uh, so when for our little one, like we've always tried really hard to always water, no juice, no colas for Pete's sake, um, and we—they're vegetarians, but they only so they only eat vegetables. But I was talking with a coworker, and she sort of asked like what we fed our kids since they don't eat meat, and you know we went through like the litany and. She's like, oh, you know, those carrots and the potatoes and squash, you know, they just have so much naturally occurring sugar. And, like, obviously I'm not going to, like, you know, feed our children mashed potatoes every single day, even though that would be, like, my dream. Uh, <laughs> but, but, like, what are, you know, how much difference does it make in terms of trying to balance out vegetables based just on the natural amount of sugar that is that are, that's there in the vegetable? Well, so that that was one of the things, you know, the fruits and vegetables, those are natural sugars, so they're not as bad as some of those added sugars. Um, That list that Jermaine read off, the I think it was six teaspoons, um, that is in regards to added sugars. So that doesn't necessarily include the fruits and vegetable sugars. I would just make sure you kind of find a balance, you know, make sure for every, because some of the starchier vegetables, you know, are going to be like our our good southern vegetables that we think about, the potatoes, the corn, um, some of those types of things, the real starchy vegetables. And that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you limit it and as long as you find the balance. I think that's going to be the most important thing. So if you are going to have potatoes or corn that night, just make sure you have some greens on there too. Or make sure you have some of the more, you know, the the healthier vegetables without all the starches in it. I wouldn't say you have to completely eliminate them, um, but everything's about balance. So as long as you have a green on there along with one of the starchy ones, it should be fine. Because, again, these are the natural sugars, not the added sugars. And so in the long run, it all should balance itself out. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Yeah, our our good vegetables down here in the south are most of them that we think about when we think about our veggie plates here are going to be uh, starchy vegetables just in general. So, which are not always a bad thing, um, but it's just you need to find that balance and make sure you have some greens on your plate too as well um, to help balance it. But those are going to be more of the natural sugars. And so in the long run, those are actually going to be a lot better for you, even though they are sugars. They're a lot better than the added sugars and then even better than some of the um, natural sweeteners, too, that, you know, people add to the artificial sweeteners. So, Doc, now, you know, everybody thinks corn is a vegetable. <laughs> I know. Well, it technically <laughs> is. It's just a starchy vegetable. Have you heard about the new kid corn ambassador? So I saw something, but I haven't actually watched the video, so I hadn't seen all of that. He's totally natural sugar for real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to check it out and Google it. I personally am not a big greens person. 
Um, I'm just, I just don't like them. I've tried my best to like them. I can eat some green beans, and there's a few other greens that I can eat, but I just, I don't like broccoli. I have tried every which way to like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Um, but like our caller said, I'm trying to do better for my kid. And so she loves broccoli, thankfully. And um, so I'm trying to do better about making sure I cook those for her because you're exactly he we didn't touch on this when he called, but he brought up a great point. I mean, you know, if you introduce all those sugars so at an early age, it's going to be really hard to break that habit. So if you can try to introduce the healthy foods and the healthy vegetables and the healthy fruits earlier at a at an early age you're going to have better results of them taking that you know into their <clears throat> later teen years in adulthood and making the better decisions so um it's not easy like he said it'd be much easier if you could be a dream if you could serve them mashed potatoes every night but you got to find that balance and get them some greens in there too so um so we're talking about sleep or really answering any medical questions that you may have um so one of the things that i mentioned is is it okay to let your kids cry it out? So there's actually, they did a study on this. <clears throat> and what they did was they had two different methods that they did. They did the graduated extinction method, <clears throat> which is essentially letting your children cry it out. And then they also did um, a different method that they called, I'm trying to remember what it was exactly called. But essentially what they did was they would let kids kind of the parents wouldn't necessarily let the babies cry. They would just work on slowly moving the bedtime back until the kids got comfortable to where they could put themselves to sleep. <clears throat> so when they looked at that, honestly, the time for them to fall asleep was really not that different. Um, it was both about 10 to 15 minutes for the for the babies for falling asleep. And the babies who did cry it out honestly woke up a little bit less during the night but it was not that much different. And then they also measured <clears throat> the levels of cortisol of the baby and of the parents over time to see, and they were all they were all the same. So cortisol, you know, is our main stress hormone. We talked about that. When you're not getting enough sleep, it can be higher. But it is a stress hormone. It's one of the hormones that's released when we get stressed. And so they measured the levels of that in the babies and in the parents, and they were both the same. So it didn't seem to put that much added stress on the babies or the parents if you let the baby cry it out. <clears throat> and then lastly, they didn't show any attachment problems, um, that parent-baby attachment, uh, which is what a lot of people worry about, too, um, if you let your baby cry it out. They didn't show any changes in that either. So all that being said, some sleep training methods are probably going to be okay <clears throat> but it's something that you need to talk to your doctor about because you want to make sure your child is at an age where it is appropriate. I would not do this for my six-week-old baby, but for your six-month-old baby, this may be an appropriate time to consider starting doing that. So is crying it out and sleep training okay? Yes, but within reason. Um, so you want to make sure that you're talking to your doctor about that. So Again, I wouldn't start this at six weeks old. I probably wouldn't even start this at 12 weeks old, honestly. I would wait till they're at least six months and to safely come up with a plan from your doctor. One of the things that I always try to tell parents is, <clears throat> especially when they're getting frustrated with nighttime awakenings, um, babies wake up for lots of other reasons. They don't just wake up because they're hungry. Babies are movers. 
they when they're sleeping. If you notice the baby, you'll put them on one side. You'll put them in the middle of the crib, and they may make it wake up like flipped over in a complete corner of their crib. Um, so babies move a lot throughout the night, and when they do that and they startle, a lot of times they wake up, and it may just be that they're just having trouble putting themselves back to sleep. So one of the things that I try to get parents to focus on when you're trying to eliminate some of those nighttime awakenings is trying to put, let them learn how to put themselves to sleep. And that can be really hard. Um, But again, this is not something that I would recommend starting early, you know, when your baby's six weeks old, but as they get older, Um, You know, you do have to, as they can, be able to put themselves back to sleep a little bit better. So one of the things that I tell people to do is to get your baby really tired, you know, do your normal nighttime routine, whatever that may be, Um, you know, bath time, reading, rocking your baby, letting them get very, very sleepy, but just don't let them fall asleep in your arms. And then you can lay them down in their crib. They may fuss for a minute or two, but if they're really sleepy, they're going to end up falling asleep. So then they'll learn how to put themselves to sleep so that in the night when they're moving and they're wiggling and they're kicking and they startle and they wake up, they remember, well, I know how to put myself back to sleep instead of waking up and screaming. And so a lot of times if you let the baby cry for a minute or two, they'll eventually put themselves to sleep because they know how to do it. They learned how to do it at the beginning of the night. So they'll know how to do it throughout the night. It cannot, it's a hard thing to do sometimes. Um, and again, I'm not telling you you have to let your baby cry for 15 minutes. Majority of the time, it only takes a couple of minutes. Um, but if you can make sure that they learn how to put themselves to sleep at the beginning of the night, then majority of the time they'll be able to put themselves to sleep throughout the night. So just a little tip out there that I found to be helpful. And it it worked for my own baby. Um, She usually can put herself back to sleep. She wakes up throughout the night, um, but she can usually put herself back to sleep, too, so thankfully. Um, We've got another caller, Jack, who's in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Jack. What's going on? Hey, how you doing this morning? Good. What's going on? All right, I have a quick question for you. Uh-huh. As an 80-year-old with diabetes, since Katrina, is is there a hazard or problem with eating too many raw carrots? I don't, I don't have a lot of access to other vegetables, but carrots are so easy to uh, wash up and cut up and eat, and I like them. Carrots are going to be one of our starchier vegetables. Um, so that is one that you're probably going to have to be a little careful on. Um, you know, it is, you know, one of our more natural sugars, like we were talking about earlier. But if you have diabetes you got to be a little more careful about your sugar. So in this situation, you probably are going to have to be careful with how many carrots you can eat throughout a day. All right. Uh, this is another question. I've had uh, diabetes since Katrina. Mm-hmm. I was driving an 18-wheeler, and we were hauling gas. And we went all over the state looking for gas at different uh, loading terminals. Mm-hmm. And exhausted and trying to run generators at two different places. Right after that, I came. I, came, I was diagnosed with uh, diabetes. Mm-hmm. With all that stress and not enough sleep, how would that give you diabetes? So, um, lack of sleep can lead to insulin resistance, um, and lack of sleep can lead to increased levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And one of the things that happens with cortisol is your sugar goes up too. So, if you have insulin resistance and you have increased sugars 
then that can lead to problems managing your sugar with your body. And that's probably not the only reason, you know, you developed that. I'm not sure what your family history is and how your lifestyle is, but it probably contributed some to it for sure. Yeah. All right. Thank you and tell Danny hello. All right. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it. All right. Bye. Um, So I talked a little bit about our kids, our babies, and trying to get them to learn how to self-soothe and put themselves back to sleep. Um, And that is an important task in trying to get your baby to sleep through the night. Now, toddlers, on the other hand, that's a whole other story (laughs) with trying to get your baby to go to sleep. Um, I think I've probably said this on here before, but one of my favorite memes is like, if we could get the send the toddlers to do the talks with the terrorists, there would be no problems in the Middle East anymore uh, because those toddlers, when it comes to bedtime, can negotiate anything. Uh, you know, if you've been try- if you've ever tried to put down a two and three year old, it's I need this, I need that, I want this, I need that. You know, and trying to make deals with you to get <laughs> so they don't have to get into bed. Um, so it's a kind of a whole other issue because usually. By that toddler age, um, they've learned how to put themselves back to sleep, that whole, like, self-soothing thing that we talked about. So even if they wake up at night, a lot of times they can roll over and put themselves back to sleep. Um, Their circadian rhythm is usually a little bit better and more mature, and so it can work on putting them, I mean, getting them back in that rhythm of, of going to bed. The problem is, is they just don't want to do it. They don't want to go to bed, just like they become picky eaters and they don't want to eat the things that you want to eat. Toddlers have a mind of their own. And so um, it's a whole nother process of trying to get your little one to bed once they become a toddler. Um, I'm going to go to our caller real quick, Nancy and Jackson. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's going on this morning? I was going to add something to the crying baby. Uh-huh. I had a niece, uh-huh. I have a niece that when she was a baby uh, cried all night. You know, she just cry and cry and cry. And I do not recall the name of what they find determined was wrong, but they did not determine this until many years later. It was something to do with her legs. Um, but and, and maybe you know what it would be. But um, she wasn't just crying because she was... Uh, spoiled or whatever all babies should be spoiled i agree um, but it was it was caused by some type of disorder hmm. so I, I i don't know i wish i could uh contact my sister i would ask her uh, but it was it was a type of disorder and it was she was in a lot of pain and no one you know, she went to the doctor often, talked to the doctor about it. It was, like I said, she was probably in her teens before they found out or realized what the true cause was. Was it like a restless leg type thing or a periodic limb movement is the other name they kind of call it? I don't recall that. This was 40 years ago. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, you can def- we definitely see that, especially um, usually it's in a little bit older kids, uh, but they can have very, 
Um, I mean, just like adults have restless leg, kids can have that as well. Definitely not as common as it is in adults, um, but that just ner- that little kind of sharp little shooting pain, burning pain that you get where you feel like you constantly have to move your legs. I've definitely seen that in kids, and usually those kids are going to be more erratic sleepers too. They're going to be the ones that like kind of fall out of the bed and um, are very restless sleepers just in general. I don't know if your niece was like that or not. Um, I don't recall that, but her problem was from birth all the way on. So um, I'm assuming that's what it was. I wish I knew. I wish I remembered. But um, You'll have to ask her that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely a good point. And a lot of times I will say that whole, like, sleep training and getting your baby to learn to self-soothe, usually by a week or two they get it down. So if you've been doing this routine and you're not getting your baby to sleep after two weeks, then you probably need to talk to your pediatrician and make sure nothing else is going on. And it could be something like what you're talking about, Nancy. There's lots of other things that could be going on, too, that are having making you have trouble sleeping. But... Usually by two weeks of the training, it should be getting your baby back to sleep. So if it's not, you want to make sure something else is not going on. Well, I think she cried, you know, even when she was two and three years old. She, you know, never did quit crying. Yeah. She got much older. Which is... But my sister took her to the doctor over and over and over concerning this or pertaining to this and you know, was never able to find an answer until she was in her teens. Yeah. Well, and it can be hard because they can't communicate with you. They can't tell you what's happening at that age. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for calling. And if you talk to your sister, send us an email with what the actual diagnosis was. I would love to know that. I will. All right. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah, my mine is my baby's ten months old now, and she woke up the other night screaming bloody murder and just like terrified. And um, I was like, "Can ten month olds have nightmares?" I mean, usually we say till not till two, but a ten month old can't tell us these things, so we don't really know, you know. So, but thank you for that call, Nancy, and thank you everybody for your calls today. We appreciate it. We've had a great discussion. Um, thank you, Jermaine, for running our boards today, and I think Java was our phone screener. Um, This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.